Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. I am absolutely fired up to have one of the greatest leaders of our time on the show today. He's the former CEO and chairman of Yum! Brands, which includes Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. He's the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Taking People With You, and Oh Great One. And he's the host of one of the top leadership podcasts, Oh Go Lead, which I was honored to be on. And now I'm pumped to welcome the one and only David Novak to the show. I'll tell you what, Jesse, you know how to pump somebody up and give them some great recognition. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I want to start the show with energy. I've just been following you for a while, and I think it's so tough for someone to look and say, CEO of Yum! Brands, one of the biggest, I mean, companies, restaurant companies in the world. I want to hear about your journey a little bit to set some context. How can someone even fathom growing that much in leadership? You know, Jesse, I'm always blown away by people who achieve things they never thought they could achieve. Mm. I really believe you never know what you're capable of, and that's kind of how I view my life. I never envisioned becoming the chairman and CEO of Yum! Brands, working with a company that with brands like Taco Bell, Pizza, and KFC, 1.5 million people. Just never, ever envisioned that. And that's because I came from a very, very humble background. But I have to start out by saying, I think I started out with two very huge advantages. Number one, I was born in this country where there is tremendous opportunity. And I think I became a real product of the American dream. And number two, I was born the son of Charles and Jean Novak. And I, I consider them to be my biggest break in life because they gave me all the love and nurturing that I needed. But my dad was a government surveyor. He surveyed with 15 other surveyors. He surveyed longitude and latitude points. And he would go into a small town, survey the surrounding area, and then we would move. So basically, I lived in 23 states by the time I was in the seventh grade. And the biggest house that I had, Jesse, was eight foot wide by 46 foot long. And it was a trailer. And so my dad would hook up the government truck to the trailer along with the other 14 or 15 surveying families. And we go from trailer park to trailer park, basically up and down the Midwest. I didn't really get our first permanent location until my seventh grade when my mom really wanted that to happen. And we lived in Kansas City, Missouri. But people always go, David, how did you do that? Well, I thought everybody grew up that way, number one. (laughs) Number two, it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me because my mom would check me into schools and she'd say, David, you better make friends because we're leaving. And that was true. Three months later, we would leave. But I learned very quickly how to go into new situations, size up the situation, look around, see who the good guys were, see who the not so good people were, figure out who I wanted to make friends with. I knew I only had three months to do it, so I didn't waste any time. And I think it really gave me very good people skills, very good instincts on people always ask, gosh, you assess this person so quickly and you're right. How'd you do it? And I said, well, I think it happened because of my childhood. But, you know, I was the first kid in my family to get a college education. And I started out as an advertising copywriter. And what's kind of funny is my first office was a little cubicle back in the corner of this very small advertising agency in Washington, D.C., and there was a hamburger behind my desk. And my wife said that was a sign that I was going to become a fast food mogul. (laughs) (laughs) You started as advertising, you learned marketing, and that's really where you, so it was people skills and the marketing skills? 
Yeah, I really got a big break. I went to the University of Missouri, primarily because it was in-state tuition. But they also had a great journalism school. And that's where I really fell in love with marketing. I took some advertising courses. I was a real mediocre student until I took that advertising course. And then I loved advertising and marketing. And then I couldn't learn enough about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so important to find what you love. Because once you love something, it's never work. It's your hobby. You're just out there trying to get better and better at it. You might play sports. You're coming up as a kid. Well, when you go into the career, it's nice to not go to work. It's nice to go execute your new hobby. And that's what my work always was. And I worked my way up in marketing. I started out as an advertising copywriter, which was fantastic because there's nothing worse than looking at a blank sheet of paper and you got to come up with the idea. So it taught me to be self-reliant on ideas and creativity. And it also taught me just how hard it is to be creative and how to work with creative people. Then I wanted to be on the business side of advertising. So I got into account work. And I ended up going to uh, Dallas and I worked at Tracy Lock Advertising Agency there. And our big account was Frito-Lay. And I ended up being the management supervisor on Frito-Lay, which was a part of PepsiCo. And then one day the head of uh, Frito-Lay and the senior VP of marketing there said, hey, how would you like to be head of marketing for Pizza Hut? And that was a part of PepsiCo. PepsiCo had Pepsi, Frito-Lay, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and KFC. And I said, well, that'd be interesting. I'd like to talk to talking." So I go to Pizza Hut. I met with Steve Reineman, who was the president at the time and later became the chairman of PepsiCo. He offered me the job right after that day. I remember he picked me up at the airport, and I was so impressed with him because he was so humble. He actually carried my bag. And I told him, I said, geez, you must be the most humble guy I've ever met, or you really need a marketing guy. <laughs> and it turned out both was true. Then I got to go to uh, Pepsi and ran marketing sales for Pepsi. And then I wanted to become a general manager, so I asked her for an operating job. And then I became president of KFC and Pizza Hut. And then I was in the right place at the right time to become the head of Young Brands. One interesting insight there, and I think it's important to all your listeners, is I literally had the opportunity to go be the CEO of Frito-Lay. They asked me to do that job, but I loved the restaurant business and that was a much bigger job, but I turned it down because I love the restaurant business because it's all about people, all about food, which I love, all about marketing. It's the closest thing in terms of direct response of any marketing you'll ever do because once you put something on the air, once you do something great from a marketing standpoint, gee, you can see the sales within three days. So this was right at my wheelhouse and I knew it. And I didn't want to go to Frito-Lay. And I didn't know at the time the reason why they wanted me to go to Frito-Lay is they wanted to get me back into PepsiCo because they were going to spin off the restaurant brands into its own independent public company. And so I said no. And as a result, you know, I was running Pizza Hut and KFC at the time. I got to be the head of Young Brands. So that's a good thing. It's an amazing story. And I think there's such a great parallel there in learning marketing first, learning what drives people, what's excited, and then learning the people business. Because you probably didn't learn the people business at first. You were just learning how to attract people to brands. Yeah, absolutely. But what I've really found, Jesse, is that you need to apply marketing to everything you do. I apply marketing when I think about taking people with you. I wrote the book, Taking People With You, and it's all about having an insight-driven approach to leading people. You need to get inside of the heads of your people and understand how they're thinking, just like you want to understand your customers. And when you do that, you can understand what perceptions and habits and beliefs they have. And you can formulate the right strategy and the right kind of ideas to motivate them, inspire them to go the extra mile and really get things done. So I use marketing in the marketing thought process in terms of everything that I do. I love it. I love it. Now, you've done some outrageous marketing, David, in your time. And I think I understand the Dorito Loco taco came from your connections with Frito-Lay and also Taco Bell. 
I do want to go into the soft skills because I've heard you say the soft stuff is what drives hard results and the heart wiring. I love this marketing. Tell me some of this crazy marketing, some of these stories that have come up because I think people need to think differently on how they market. And you've certainly done a lot of that with Taco Bell and KFC and Pizza Hut. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a story about what I did at Pepsi, Okay. which I think is not a success story, but I think there's a lot of learning in it. When I went to Pepsi, I had great success at Pizza Hut. We had basically turned Pizza Hut around and doubled sales and profits in the four-year period. And so I was brought into Pepsi at the time because Pepsi was really struggling. The sales were soft. The cola business was starting to decline and is still declining, by the way, because of all the alternative drinks that are available out there. So I knew I needed a big idea. So I was sitting in my office one day and, and I was looking at all the category information and already been out in the marketplace seeing what was growing and what wasn't. And I realized that everything that was growing was clear. Water, clearly Canadian, all these drinks were clear and they had no caffeine. So I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to create a clear Pepsi. And this was like, oh my gosh. I go, oh, I have the greatest idea in the history of the world. I'm going to do a clear Pepsi. So I called up Roger Enrico, who's a really excellent marketing guy. I said, you know, I just had this idea. What do you think of it? He said, that's really unique. That's different. He said, you know, find out about it and see where it leads you. So I go out and do focus groups. And all the people told me this is a great idea. So I developed the product and I named it Crystal Pepsi. And then I had a meeting with the Pepsi-Cola bottlers. The Pepsi-Cola bottlers, they basically own the distribution system. So Pepsi sells them the concentrate and the products and the brands, and then the bottlers go out and put it into the stores and get the distribution that you need to have to sell. So they said, gosh, David, this is just a great idea. But you know what? A problem with it. Now, at this point in time, I didn't want to hear about any problems. We launched this thing in the test market in Colorado, and it made national news. And in fact, Dan Rather, who was this anchor for CBS, came on and he said, today, in Boulder, Colorado, Pepsi-Cola launched the clear Pepsi, and they showed it coming off the lines. It was like the lead story. So I'm walking around. I'm thinking I'm the greatest thing since a yellow banana. I'm thinking this is like the greatest thing that's ever happened. So now I go to this meeting with these bottles. They say, hey, we got a problem. I says, well, what's your problem? And they said, well, it doesn't taste enough like Pepsi. And I said, well, I don't want it to taste like Pepsi. I want it to be a different kind of cola, so we'll bring in incremental users. And they say, yeah, but it doesn't taste enough like Pepsi. And I say, yeah, you're right, it doesn't, but that's on purpose because I want to bring in these incremental users. So yeah, but it doesn't taste like Pepsi. And I go, oh, I didn't want to hear what they had to say. And they said, you know, if you're going to call it Crystal Pepsi, it's got to have more Pepsi notes. Well, I thought they were crazy. No, I'm going to be a heat-seeking missile. And what does Pepsi do every year? They go on the Super Bowl. So I rushed this through test market and we developed the advertising. We launched Crystal Pepsi on the Super Bowl. And guess what happened? It was the only product in the history of the Pepsi-Cola company that was launched at a premium price. And I was so mad about that because I wanted low pricing so I could get trial. And the bottler said to me, David, we're going to launch this at a premium price and we're going to make a lot of money on it. And I said, well, why are you doing that? He says, because it's not going to be around that long. <laughs> <laughs> so they launched it, they premium priced it, they made a ton of money on it. But guess what happened? We got great trial but we didn't get great repeat. And guess what the number one reason was for us not getting great repeat? It didn't taste enough like Pepsi. So if I would have given it more Pepsi-Cola flavor notes, mm, I would have been able to take this huge, big idea and it would have become unbelievable. In fact, the previous year it was rated in the top 10 products of the year. But then in the year 2000, 
Time Magazine did a story on the top 100 failures in, in the last century, and Crystal Pepsi was, I think, in the top 15 or something like that. You made that. it, David. You made it the big time, man. That's amazing. I, I made it in the big time. But the fact of the matter was, I think the great learning is there. Yeah, you've got to think outside the dots. You've got to come up with a unique idea. And I did. But you also need to make sure that it really is relevant and it really does fit your customers' needs. It can't just be an idea that you have. Yeah, and, you know, I kind of jammed this in and I was in a hurry and we didn't wait for the repeat numbers. And, you know, as a result, it wasn't as good a product as it could have been. And I actually think, Jesse, this is probably the best idea I ever had. And if I could go back and redo that, I think it'd be a five share brand in the cola category today. In fact, I think last year they brought it back on a limited time only basis. Oh, wow. <laughs> so anyway, but that was a good example. I've always found that if you learn from other people and learn from other brands and you do what I call pattern thinking, you can come up with all great, all kinds of great ideas. Yeah, you're a great pattern. Yeah. You're one of the best pattern thinkers I've ever seen. And by the way, I think you're the best marketing person I've met in the last 10 years. Oh, and you. it's interesting because you're self-taught. You don't have an MBA or any of that, but you read about everything you could about what's great marketing, how to make it really work. And, you know, I did the same thing. I didn't have an MBA, but I couldn't get enough about marketing. I'd read everything cover to cover that I thought had some sense, read every book that I thought would help me, and it did. But I always got my best ideas by going out in the marketplace and seeing what other people are doing and then say, well, how could I do it at Young Brand? Like when I was running a marketing and pizza, I went to California Pizza Kitchen, and they had all these specialty pizzas. So I came back and doubled the number of pepperonis on pizza call and came up with the, our specialty pizza line called the Pepperoni Lovers. And we had cheese lovers, meat lovers, veggie lovers. All this came from looking at what California Pizza Kitchen was. And it was our best selling product line. It was so easy to do. And it was just right there. When I was working with Frito-Lay, I developed Cool Ranch Doritos. I didn't go to the snack aisle to get the idea. I went to the salad dressing aisle. And what we found was that the salad dressings that was growing the fastest was the ranch flavor. So I went to the R&D people at Frito-Lay and said, let's do a, a ranch flavored Dorito. And it's what became a huge success. So I don't think I'm really that smart, but I know I need to have the world. It's the environment that gives me and feeds me the ideas that I come up with or my team comes up. It's so smart. I think when you said pattern thinking, that's how we look at everything. You take something from another industry and then you make it your own. And I think you made a great point there, David. The Crystal Pepsi didn't work for a few reasons. One of it, it wasn't actually on brand because it didn't taste like Pepsi. And I think right. we need to always think, are we on brand? Because right. we are never going to be the Ritz-Carlton here at our stadium. Like, we're 1926 ballpark, but can we be over-the-top fun? And so if you try to do something that doesn't fit your brand, it doesn't work. And I'm sure, like Taco Bell, for instance, the Taco Bell weddings and all these, that fits the brand. And is that something right. you think about with your marketing as well? Right. Absolutely. You have to be authentic. You have to be consistent with your DNA. Look at what's going on with KFC right now with the launch of the Colonel, bringing back the celebrity Colonels. And they just brought made that brand hip and cool again. Yes. Okay. And the marketing guy there is a genius, but he really believed that Colonel was a big part of the DNA. He wanted to bring the Colonel back, but he found a way to do it in a way that would really be appealing to the millennials and update and contemporize the KFC brand. Taco Bell has always been trying on top of what's going on. We were one of the first to embrace social media. We created what we called the fishbowl at Taco Bell, and we monitored social media 24-7, what people were saying around our brand. And then we would tweet back or we would go online and we'd have lots of fun doing it in a Taco Bell personality. 
And that really works. Taco Tuesdays, when you steal a big game in the NBA or you steal a base, you win a game in the All-Star Games, Taco Bell's there, but they have fun. Yes. You know, I yeah. think people want to have fun, Jesse, and you're the master at having fun. I mean, <laughs> and I think that uh, people want to have those escapes. They not only want to enjoy your brand, but they want your brand to take them to a place that you wouldn't naturally go. Mm, that's such a good point. See, this is tough, David. I could talk marketing with you for like hours, but I want to get into recognition because I really believe you are the guru on recognition. And that old great one, I didn't tell you this, not only was it shared with our president, our director of first impressions, our president sent it to his family because he wanted his parents to read it. It gets spread all over the place, and it's something that's not talked about enough in leadership. And so I want to go a few of the things from Oh Great One. You talk about make recognition fun, which we were just talking about, and recognition right. should be fun for everyone, not just the person being recognized. I'd love to hear some things for pattern thinkers like us that you've done. Yeah. Well, I think I want to go back, if you don't mind, and tell you why I became so passionate about yeah. recognition. When I was running marketing or operations for Pepsi, I used to go out in the field and I'd meet with people and ask them what was working, what wasn't working. And so I did a what I call a round table in St. Louis. And I was talking to these route salesmen and I was asking what was working in merchandising. And they all started raving about this guy named Bob who's sitting across the table. I said, this guy's the greatest guy in the history of the world. If you want to learn about merchandising, talk to Bob. He's done this, he's done that. And they're raving about him, heaping all this praise on him. And I looked down at the end of the table and he's crying. And I said, Bob, why are you crying? He said, I've been in this company for 47 years. I'm retiring in two weeks, and I didn't know people felt this way about me. And I said to myself, God, that's so sad. If for the rest of my life, I'm never, ever, I don't want to have any Bobs in my company. I want to do everything I can to make sure that people like Bob are recognized for what they do. Because here was this guy who was better than everybody around that table. Yes. And yes. He didn't feel appreciated. I thought that really hit me. So I said to myself, Jesse, when I go have a chance from this day forward, I'm going to look for powerful ways to recognize people. It's proven out there. I think I saw you tweet recently, like 82% of people do not feel recognized by their supervisor. Exactly. And I think 70% of the people who say they change jobs, change jobs because they don't feel appreciated for what they do. Mm. So this is unbelievable. It's huge. And so I decided to make recognition a big behavior that I was going to drive home from that day forward. Yes. A couple of weeks later, I actually got the chance to become president for the first time, the president of KFC. So I went into KFC and I said, I'm going to make recognition the biggest thing going on. The, the morale was terrible there. They hadn't made their business plan for 10 years. Franchisees hated the company. The company hated the franchisees. And I had to bring everybody together. And I said, you know what? I'm going to use recognition to do that. But I wanted to have a good idea. Now, most presidents, they give away a plaque or a watch or something really boring. So I said to my public affairs guy, I really need to come up with a great idea. So I'm thinking for a great idea about the great idea. Now, I learned about this guy in IT who has a meeting every month with his department. And he gave away this special award. And it was a rubber floppy chicken. Okay, So I went to him. The guy said, I love that idea. I'm looking for a presidential award. Can I rip this idea off? And he said, he gave me the right answer, which was yes, okay? And, you know, he could have used it too, but I, mean, I wanted to make the president go He said, fine. So I took it, and I started going out and recognizing people with these rubber chickens. And I would number them, each one's number, and I would write on the rubber chicken, Jesse, thank you for all you're doing to make KFC products so great. Appreciate all you do, and thanks for your 18 years at KFC. And you wrote, wrote it on, you wrote it on the chicken? I'd, I'd sign it. And then I would take a picture of them and say, hey, look, I'm going to put your picture in my office, 
but I'm going to send you a picture. You can do whatever you want, but you're the person who's making it happen. What you do is what makes our business tick. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go into my office. And then I line my walls up in my office with pictures I recognize. And people say, well, what happens if you run out of wall space? I said, I'm going to put it on the ceiling. So I started putting pictures on the ceilings. And now they go out in the hallways and all this. But anyway, people started crying when I gave them these rubber chickens. By the way, I did give them $100 because you can't eat a rubber chicken. And I was the president. I was the president of the company. And I could do that. But the money was never it. It was always the recognition. It was always that what you do really matters. And great leaders demonstrate to people that what they do counts. Mm-hmm. I believe that leaders cast a shadow. Well, once I started recognizing people, other people started recognizing it. Everybody came up with their own individual recognition awards, and this became the thing that really drove our company and the culture that we had. And it drives results like you can't believe. So I'm a big, big proponent of recognition. And then when I got promoted, pizza, I gave away a cheese head, Green Bay Packer cheese heads. Then when I got promoted to to run Yum Brands, I gave away these walk to talk teeth with the yum written on top and basically catching people walking the talk on behalf of our customers around the world. I think recognition should be done spontaneously. When you see somebody doing something good, recognize them right now. Don't wait for this monumental annual meeting or whatever. Those are nice. Those are good to have too. Monthly celebrations are fun. Weekly celebrations are fun. To recognize the behavior you want when you see it. I'm fascinated, David, because it started from the top. But then you mentioned in there a second ago that it started going different departments, different groups started doing recognition. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because we always say we need to recognize. But then when you start, I'm picturing our stadium. We start having the concession stands doing their own recognition. We start having different places. Everybody has these silos in their company. Tell me how that happened. Can you give some examples? You know, I think, well, first of all, I taught a leadership program called Taking People With You. I taught it to over 4,000 people in our company. I went around talking about the power of recognition. But people saw the power of recognition and what happened when I did it. They would see people that were actually working on their teams get recognized that hadn't been recognized. And they saw the power of it, and then they embraced it. The best ideas are the ideas that you come up with yourself because you own them. Okay? I don't believe telling is selling. I think you want people to come up with their own ideas. So I told them the joy I got and I showed them how to do it. But then they realized how powerful it was and they said, I want to do it too. That's what happened. And then it spread throughout the organizations. You know, our construction people gave away shovels. A guy who loved baseball would give away a baseball glove. Everybody came up with their own recognition awards. Our finance guy gave a little piggy bank and said, show me the money on it. Everybody had fun with it. And it really spread like wildfire across our organization. You know, it's really interesting, Jesse. I was taught on how to be a communicator. I used to be nervous when I was coming up, and but I got some professional training on speaking. Now I can't wait to speak to 13,000 people, yeah. but I learned the yeah. skill. But I learned how to make product quality, great products. I learned the process of finance, even though I wasn't a financial executive. I was trained on all these different things, but I was never trained on recognition. And then I looked around, and nobody's training people on recognition. Yet, as you mentioned, 82% of people feel they're not recognized by their supervisors. Mm -hmm. It's the number one reason why people leave is what creates turnover. So if you have a $50,000 job and you have to replace that with another person, that usually costs somebody $75,000. That's the research. To replace somebody. 
So if you show appreciation, just think how much better your business could be and could retain and attract top talent because people leave when they don't feel appreciated. Mm. So nobody's teaching this. So I actually, with my new company, Ogo Lead, our website is ogolead.com, I created a recognition program called Purposeful Recognition. And see, you just don't do recognition for recognition's sake. You recognize what's important. Let me ask you, Jesse, when you look at the Savannah, Savannah Bananas, okay, what are the four things that you want to have everybody on your team do? Four behaviors. I mean, again, everything starts from fans first. So that's how we go back, backwards from that. So if you look at it, it's, it's be caring, enthusiastic, fun. We look at that and that's go more specifically. And it's, it's how do we make people feel? Every day, it's how do we make people feel. And okay, so caring, enthusiastic, yeah. feel. So what I would say purposeful recognition is, is anytime you see somebody on your team do something that's caring, you recognize them. Yeah. Did you see how Sally just cared for that customer yes. over there? Anytime you see somebody do something fun yeah. and outrageous at your customer, you recognize, Phil, you came up with the greatest idea. I couldn't believe how everybody was laughing when they saw that. Okay, yes. And enthusiasm. Is there anybody more enthusiastic than Debbie over here? I mean, she is working on the background, but she's always up, always positive. And you recognize the behaviors that you know are going to drive results, and people will do it more often. Yes. And it's very simple, but very powerful. I train people how to do that. Then I train people on how to do recognition that's personal, so that you own it, and it's consistent with your DNA. I talk about the barriers to recognition how you can knock them down. And I talk about how to make recognition a way of life. Yes. It's brilliant if you simplify it too. Like what we just went through, I went through our core beliefs, caring, different, enthusiastic, fun. I went through our core beliefs and every company, if you want them living your brand, you got to recognize it every day and every chance you get. And David, I started thinking back, my favorite moments at the end of the nights when we talk and we sit and everyone just shouts each other out for doing amazing things because we need it. And especially, I'm going to say this younger generation, We need to feel a purpose and feel pride in what we're doing. And I'm so glad that you're teaching. I think it's very important. I think a thing you just said too earlier about you have the pictures, David, of the people that you used to take. It wasn't just, hey, get a picture with the CEO. You put them in your office. Right. And I think that's amazing. We had a player the other night. A kid came up and said, can I get your autograph? He said, only if I can have yours. And so literally had the kid sign his hat. And it's that other way. It goes both ways. So I praised him. My dream now is to have every player to have all kids' autographs all over their hats because showing what it's all about, the opposite. So, and that starts with recognition, and we got to recognize our players for how they made them feel. That, that is so great. And that player that did that, and if other people see it, they'll do it too because they'll like it. They'll like the idea. And that's how it really spreads. But it's great that you take time to recognize people. And I don't think it's just this new generation, the millennials and Gen Y. It's true forever. I interview all kinds of people for my leadership programs, and I interviewed the great late John Wooden, and he was a big proponent of recognition. He told me, he said one of his rules was that every time a player scored a basket, he wanted another player to acknowledge that person who threw him the ball, set the pick, or made the basket possible. One of the players said to him, Coach, what if they're not looking? And he said, oh, they'll be looking. And he knew the power of recognition. He also knew that he said to me, he said, David, if you don't feel needed, you're through. Okay. So he understood the importance of valuing everybody on your team. Mm -hmm. Now you also have to recognize bad behavior. 
How do you, you do know, that? As a, leader, as a leader, you cannot have people, you can't be talking about fun, enthusiasm, caring, fan first, and have somebody over there who's not fun, enthusiastic, caring, and doesn't treat customers right. If you see if people like that are on your team, you as a leader, you've got to hold them accountable for changing or and if they don't change, send them somewhere else and make other companies miserable. How do you have those hard conversations? That's a really tough thing to do. What I do is I bring somebody, I'll talk to somebody, on, if I see something, I'll take them aside and I say, can I give you some coaching? And they say yes. You know, and I say, well, we really believe that it's important to treat everybody with respect. You walk into that restaurant you didn't say hi to one team member. And all you did is go over to this person and tell someone something that this was dirty. And yeah, obviously, you shouldn't have anything that didn't clean in a restaurant. But there was a lot of great things going on in that restaurant. So I'd really like you to think about how you could maybe acknowledge the good things that are going on and then say, hey, we could be more effective if we do these, this, this. The bigger issue here is you can't treat people that way. You can't go in and act like you're better than them. And if you do, that's inconsistent with what we're all about. So I would coach somebody very directly like that. You got to have the productive conflict. And then if they don't change after the coaching, then I do say, hey, what? Go make other somebody else miserable. <laughs> I, I think the great thing you said, can I give you some coaching? Every leader should ask that question and get permission to coach. I bet you no one's ever said no. Yeah, no one's going to say no. Yeah. But when you're coaching, what does a coach do? Helps other people fulfill their potential. Grow. It's showing that you care. I really believe one of the major tenets in business and working with people is nobody's going to care about you until you care about them. It's a major, major tenet that is absolutely essential. And you think about it, the people who made you better in your career, Jesse, you know they care about you. You know, I got a lot of guys who've invested, and women who invested a lot in me. And starting with my parents, that love and care and then, you know, moving up the ladder in business. I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't have people who didn't take me aside and, and give me some coaching. And also cheering me on. Yes. You know, it's important to cheer people on so they do more of it. And a great one, one of your last principles, say thank you every chance you get and how these two little words are powerful and cost nothing to use. And yeah. that's how we connected. I was yeah. so impacted by your books and how our team was. I wrote a thank you, and now you're on a little relationship, which I really appreciate. But tell me how thank you has become a big part of your recognition system. Yeah, well, listen, you're kind of a crazy guy. You got the yellow tuxedo, and you'll give away bananas, and you do all this fun, wacky stuff, okay? I'm kind of a crazy guy. When I give away rubber chickens and cheese heads, and I don't have any problem not taking myself too seriously, but I take the business very, very seriously, okay? But you know what? Not everybody's like us. Everybody has to find a way to recognize people and show appreciation. And if you say thank you, you do that. And anybody can say thank you. Anybody can say thank you. But the power of recognition and the power of thank you is that you acknowledge what someone has done for you. You acknowledge their worth. You acknowledge the value that they brought to the equation. And when you say thank you, it says to people you're paying attention, just like recognition. The reason why recognition is powerful is it says that someone's watching. Mm. See, people inherently, they want to be appreciated for what they do. They want to be valued. We all want to be valued. And I think thank you is a very simple way to do it. I used to tell people, look, I know I'm a floppy chicken kind of guy, but you may not be. 
some people I know like just go into somebody's office and leave them a note and surprise them. Some people I know write notes to their parents of the, of the people that work for them. Some people I know like to go to lunch with someone and take the time to tell them that this I don't care what you do, but just do it. Make sure you recognize people. Do it consistent with your style. Do it consistent with your DNA. Okay? Do it consistent with your brand. Every person is a brand. So find a way to do it in a way that's consistent with your brand. That's CFO. He did it with a piggy bank and some money inside it, and he had fun doing it. All of a sudden, he, he got a hell of a lot better sense of humor than he had before, and people love seeing him doing that. Yeah. You know, you have to do things that are consistent with what you're all about. 100%. I mean, everyone wants to be seen and heard. And if we just look every day, instead of trying to be recognized, we look to recognize people. And what yeah. if you had that lens every day? You're looking, how can I recognize? It's the whale done philosophy that Ken Blanchard talked about, you know, catching. Exactly. Exactly. And do it spontaneously. There's nothing I like to do. You know, I always traveled with my awards, and sometimes I'd go back into the car, or I'd be right in the middle of a conversation, I can learn something great that somebody just did. I said, give me a second. I'll be right back. And I'd come back in, i have my award, do my little presentation, and I'd do it right there on the spot. I'd be in a presentation. And somebody presented a great idea, I say, hold on a second. Run into my office, I get a yum award, I bring it back in there, and I'd recognize them right then and there. Don't wait. Don't wait to recognize people. Do it when you see it. And gosh almighty, when you start doing that, people are gonna love it. They're gonna love working for you, they're gonna feel valued, they're gonna be appreciated, and it gets results. See the big thing that I'm a combination of a teddy bear and a grizzly bear. Okay? I love to recognize people. I love to have fun doing it. But if people aren't, I do it because I, it's the right thing to do for people and it gets results. And if people don't do things the right and they don't get the results, I'm a grizzly bear. And I think leaders have to be a teddy bear and a grizzly bear. I love that so much, David. And I just love, too, what you said, recognize great ideas. Some companies like, well, we don't have great ideas in our company. Well, how often do you recognize the ideas that are happening in your company? And so, like, ideas, every company needs to innovate. Every company needs new ideas. So start recognizing when ideas happen. I absolutely That's what I mean by purposeful recognition. If you want, like, people said, you know, David, we're different than the restaurant business. Because we had our, our how we work together. So I say, okay, well, what makes you so different? Well, we're engineers. And I said, well, what do you have to have in engineering? Well, we have to have process and discipline. We need to have rigor around costs. Anyway, you go through those things. And I say, well, those are very important behaviors, right? Now, why don't you recognize the people on your team who do those things? And guess what? You're going to get more of it. So if you want innovation on your team, recognize the innovation that you see. That's purposeful recognition. You know, I always like to say, it makes such common sense, but the problem with common sense is it's not that common, okay? <laughs> and I think this is so powerful, and it's right there for every leader to take advantage of. And that's why I'm so excited about my recognition training. I believe that any company, any company that does this will enhance their business so much it's unbelievable. I think that literally we can change the way how people do business in this country. There's so much toxic leadership. Mm-hmm. The world is starved for people to recognize them, obviously, and to make people feel bad. Why? 70% of employees that go to work today are not engaged, according to Gallup. That is sick. I believe that if people train people on recognition, the leaders understood the power of recognition, you're going to change your business. 
And I really believe this is transformational. I have a lot of CEO friends. A lot, I'm going to tell these guys, you're crazy if you don't do this. And it's not because I want to make money. You know, I got a team that I think would like to make money, but I don't care. I'm making my money, but I want to change the world. I want to make the world better. Yeah. And this isn't going to change my life, but what it can do is change so many other people's lives. And that's what excites me today about what I do. It's brilliant. I love it. Let's finish with some little rapid fire to finish here, David. You got me fired up. I'm already signing up. I don't know where to sign up, but I'm going to do it. I'm excited. Give some advice to a young leader. What yeah. would you do to, to stand out in business and in life? Well, I think it's very important that you don't waste too much time in an area that you don't love. Everybody always says that, but I don't think people tell you why. And the reason is, is if you love something, you can't get enough of it. You're usually very good at it. And when you're good at something and you love it and you want to learn more about it, you grow like a absolute weed. I mean, you just grow so fast. It's unbelievable. And you're happy. It makes you happy. Then the other thing is, is have a burning desire. There's nothing wrong with ambition. People sometimes, they shy away from that word. Oh my gosh, I was the most ambitious, competitive guy you could ever see. And I would look around and I'd say, gee, if that person's doing that job, what do they have that I don't have? I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to build my capability so that I can have that job too. And I'm going to work my way up. So I'd say, be ambitious. Okay, be ambitious for yourself and for your business. And then the third thing that I think is really essential is be an avid learner. It's all part of doing what you love, but be a learner. Just keep growing yourself, grow yourself and your business. And know yourself, grow yourself, but just constantly learn about yourself. Take a self-assessment of how you are today, what you need to do to be better tomorrow, and just keep doing that. And if you do those things, I think you're very, very powerful. I, Jesse, I do podcasts, and we did a podcast with you, and which hasn't aired yet, but it will soon, and it's fantastic. But I've done podcasts with Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan Chase, Tom Brady, great leaders, Gary Kelly, Southwest Airlines, the head of Target, Brian Cornell, all kinds of great leaders. I've done 70 podcasts. And you know what? All of the really great leaders are also humble. They're humble enough to know that leadership is a privilege. That there are a lot of people that work hard, but not everybody gets to lead. So somehow God has graced you with this capability that's made you a leader. And they're humble enough to know that they need other people. Okay, And they're humble enough to get other people involved. And they're humble enough to tell people, geez, I'm working on this. Yeah. You know, the humility is an unbelievable, important skill. Yeah. I mean, if you grow up, you move up the ladder and you think you deserve all this stuff, you're missing a beat. All right. One leadership habit, some that for you, a habit that's helped you throughout. Every day. I learned this concept from uh, Larry Sin, who was the father of culture. He's an unbelievable leader. Read his books, and he helped me grow my culture with some training exercises that people could use around the behaviors that we wanted to drive. But he taught me the concept of the mood elevator. And the mood elevator, you make your worst decisions when you're angry and your best decisions when you're grateful. And so you want to move up the mood elevator and at least get above the line, which is curious and interested before you go to work. So what I do every day is I get up and I write down three things that I'm grateful for. Okay. And those are my three gratitudes, three things that are grateful for that I think that I've just been blessed to have. And then that moves me up the mood elevator. Then I work out because I think when you work out, you're energetic. But my actually, my routine actually starts the night before, Jesse. I try to be like an athlete. I visualize my next day or my week. 
and the meetings I'm going to have, the people I'm going to see, and what would a good outcome be? How do I think through what I need to do to make sure that that outcome happens? Okay, so I do that the night before. Then I get up, do my gratitudes, work out, think about my visualization that I did the night before. And when everybody else is kind of looking for the coffee cups and the coffee pot, I'm already going 100 miles an hour. And I'm on, on my mission, and I'm ready to go. And you got to be prepared. Leaders have got to prepare themselves. We're so similar. I come into the office high-fiving everyone because I actually walk the last three minutes. I'll listen to music that I love that gets me in a good mood. I'll listen to a podcast on the way. Then I come through the door and I say, bring the energy, bring the fun. And the door is the trigger. And so when you come into any door, what are you bringing into that scene? And the gratitude is great, David. This is amazing. Seriously, you are one of the best leaders, the best learners I've met in recent years. Okay. I mean, you're a whack job. There's no question. Uh, <laughs> I know that. Uh, that, but, that. You're, but you're passionate about the right things. And that's what great entrepreneurs are. Yeah. They're so committed to their cause and what they believe in. So I'm very inspired by you. I appreciate very much the opportunity to return the favor on the podcast. I know this won't, go, won't be as good as yours, but, uh, you know, oh, this I, has been, I've enjoyed doing it. David, I've learned so much. It's blown me away. I do have one final little piece here I always ask in. I opened my book with my eulogy that I wrote, and I'm always wondering, you know, how do you want to be remembered? Because you have made such an impact already in the world. How do you want to be remembered? Well, you know, at one point I always thought it'd be he was a leader. And then now it's more, that was too much about what I was. Now it's more of like you made the world a better place by helping others become better leaders. I like to be known for helping people become the best possible leaders they could be and I would like to become known for really being the person that led the recognition revolution. Mm. And you know, that's a new book I, title I, right there. I'm really trying to do that. That's why I'm so excited about my recognition training. That's why I'm really glad I get to be on this podcast because I get to sort of like a, in my own way, I'm sort of a preacher on it. And it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Well, this has been amazing. Legacy is not what you leave for people. It's what you leave in people. And I'll tell you, you've left so much and so many people. And I can't wait to hear more about this recognition. So, David, just thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you? You're always tweeting, putting out great comments. Where can people learn more about you and connect? Well, I think you go to ogolead.com. That's where you can learn all about our leadership programs. But I think the biggest thing about leadership, ogolead.com, is that we have 70 podcasts with leaders like yourself on this, which are all free. We have free content blogs on leadership that's, I think, very, very powerful and engaging. And then we do offer our leadership programs. So I would go there. And then I love doing Twitter. So every day I try to do a daily inspirational tweet, something that comes to me. So you can follow me at David Novak Ogo and OGO. So David Novak OGO. You know, I'm having a lot of fun with this. So, you know, I retired three years ago. And I'm really blessed to be able to now use all the learnings that I got to help other people. So it's, it's a lot of fun for me. Oh, you've done a great job. And David, again, thank you so much for being on the show. This was an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Keep up the great work. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still. 
Start standing out. 